0: So, in this narrative, if somebody didn't know, if you were learning about Jesus, you would read the first part and go, Wow, he's he's pretty harsh. But then, by the grace of God, attached to it is, Wow, he's incredibly loving, incredibly compassionate. And he cares about people. He did whatever it took. He heals people because, again, it's his house his rules, his way. Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. You may be seated. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, 2024. We all thought when we were kids we'd have flying cars by now, but so far, not, not so much. Uh, hey we are going to um, at the toward the end of this service if somebody can keep it short uh, we're going to uh, we're going to have a, a time of communion where we're just going to gather together uh, here and we, are going to remember uh, what Christ has done for us. So, if you didn't get the elements, we here at Century we celebrate, we remember communion with open communion, meaning if you you don't have to be a member here, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are told to remember by taking of the bread and the cup. And so, uh, we've got uh, some of our, our elders, deacons in the back that have the elements. If you didn't get them. Uh, just put up your hand because you're all kind of packed in, and they'll come down and they'll make sure that you get it. But I'm going to get started if that is, uh, if that's okay. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 uh, this morning, starting. Uh, we're going to do verses 12 through 17. We are, if you haven't been with us, we're walking through the life and the ministry of Jesus in the book of Matthew because we are called to go and make disciples. We're called to be disciples. So we're studying the life of Jesus to say, so how did he disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? And what does it mean to follow after Jesus closely so that we can be imitators of him and live like him? And, uh, and, and so today, uh, we're just picking up on, on where we were last week. We, we talked about and took a look at the triumphal entry. That is that Jesus, uh, in the final week of His life and ministry on this earth before His death and resurrection... Uh, is coming into the city of Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecies that they would know who the Messiah is, who the King of Kings is, because he would be riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And that's exactly what happened. And people praised him and, Hosanna, uh, save us, save us now. They didn't have, remember, we didn't have the, the correct perspective of how he was going to save, but, but there were at least people proclaiming him as, as their king. What happens is that now Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he goes to uh, the temple. That is the... The, this, the, the central location of Israel where God and His presence dwelled right there in the middle of the people. And it was happening during the season of Passover, the week of Passover. So Jesus came into the city on Lamb Selection Day. The day that everybody was, was picking out their animal sacrifice on behalf of their family. And Jesus goes to the temple and he just He gets pretty upset. About what he finds, oftentimes when we think about Jesus, we we love him for all that he is, for who he is. We love his grace, we love his mercy, we love his tenderness, but we also have to love his his passion for justice and righteousness, his zeal for obedience to God, and and there are a couple times in the Gospels where it comes out in a fury and and its surrounding. Uh, this narrative, this story that takes place today. But before we get into that, I want to just say you don't have to turn there. But Revelation 19 is also one of those places where we where we see Jesus in all of His uh, Majesty. John has this vision. That's the Book of Revelation. Is is John having this vision of? The ushering in of the new kingdom of heaven, the end of this world as we know it, and all that's going to t- take place where Jesus and His second coming, and, and He builds the new heaven and the new earth. But this is what John writes in, in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. Uh, he says, I saw heaven open up, and out came a white horse. And the one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness He judges and He makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And all the armies of heaven were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, like that is that is a picture uh, of the, the this final war that is going to take place. Where it's talking about Jesus, and if we go back to last week, Jesus came in on the back of a donkey, leading coming into Jerusalem, and we talked about how that meant that he was coming. It was during a time of peace, but he was also proclaiming that that he was the King uh, of Peace. That he and we all know this that that he he doesn't come to make war uh, on on. Earthly kingdoms in a violent way. It says that Jesus came, He came to bring peace. And the way that He brought the greatest peace was that we're gonna recognize this morning is that He He won the battle by laying down His life, offering Himself as a living sacrifice. John then tells us, but in the end, Jesus is going to come on a white horse. He is making war against the enemy and once and for all he is making all things new. Jesus in all of his glory, all of his majesty, he's not a passive king. He makes things right, he hates sin, he detests disobedience. And he has the power to do something about it. So at the beginning of this Passover week that we're studying Jesus enters the temple, and and a small taste of that holy justice and righteousness is experienced by everyone in the temple. This is what it says in Matthew 21, starting in verse 12 and going to verse 17. If uh, you are willing and able, let's stand and just recognize this is God's Word. Jesus entered the temple, and He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And Jesus said to them, yeah, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. This is God's word. You could have a seat. Let's, uh, let's unpack this just a little bit. My, the title that I have for, for today's text is to lead like a king. But understand this. This is not a lesson in leadership today. This is a lesson in our greatest leader and how he led. If you can take away some leadership, uh, I I guess, tips from it, but that's not the intent. What I want to do is just for us to see in this series that Jesus is our king, that we see him leading like the king that he is. And, And so just to break down this text a little bit, just to help uh, understand, there are a couple other times in the Gospels uh, where this same event is mentioned, just as we always talk about, from a different author, from a different perspective for the audience that is hearing it. So Mark talks about it, Mark chapter 11. Luke talks about it in Luke chapter 19. So I'm going to be pulling in kind of, you might go, well, that wasn't really mentioned in that text. It's because I'm pulling in and bringing all three together. It's also not the first time that Jesus does this. Because if you look and you read, you look in the book of John, you find a similar event taking place in John chapter 2. And this is taking place at the end of Jesus' ministry uh, here on earth. John chapter 2, I mean, it's right away at the beginning. It's because there's two different events. Jesus, basically, he went in and drove people out of the temple early on in his ministry, and he did it again three years later. Why? Because humans don't learn their lessons, right? And people are, are selfish. We're going to dig into that a lot. But, but Jesus, we see him in this, really, it's this holy, rage that he goes into in the temple, a righteous anger, and the action that follows. So it's Passover week, there are hundreds of thousands of people, they've come from all over uh, the ancient world to recognize and to honor what it is that God has called them to. So, so any of the Jewish people that have been spread throughout the world, even non-Jews that come to take part in all this because they recognize who God is. And the Gentiles were allowed to go into the temple to only do a certain extent, but to, to offer up at least a little bit of an offering to God. And so there, there are a lot of people in Jerusalem when this is taking place. Um, and John, as I said, tells us about Jesus early on going in and clearing out the temple. Um, but, but we find in John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find this raw emotion that Jesus has against those that have a blatant disrespect for God and His people, specifically in this text, which we'll get into the marginalized, or the outcasts. So Jesus does what he does. He leads. He takes charge with authority like the king that he is. And so he embraces this position of authority, and we see it coming out as he goes into the temple, and he sees what he sees, and, and he sends people away. We're going to get into uh, a text in a few weeks from now um, where, because in this text, we don't, the only response that the religious leaders have are, do you not hear what the children are singing? You know, kind of we want to silence them, want to do something about it. Uh, but later on, I think that, that after it all kind of sunk in, they, they gather together and, and the religious leaders, upset with Jesus, they come to him and they ask him, what right, by what authority do you have to come in here? To do what you did. To teach what it is that you teach. And what I love about Jesus in this text is the authority that he uses. First of all, he doesn't need to explain himself to them. Second of all, he's in his house. Jesus is God. That temple was built for him. And not just for people to come and to worship God, but if you understand the temple, that temple was built uh, the tabernacle was built as a visual illustration for people to know that when they saw the Savior and what He would do, that that temple, that tabernacle, they're no longer necessary. Right? When Jesus dies on the cross and the temple veil is torn in two, and, and that temple that represented the presence of God in the midst of His people, because of what Christ did now, uh, God is now present, available to everybody anytime, anywhere. He now dwells in hearts. And, and so they come and they, by what right, by what authority do you have to come in here and, and do what, what it is that you do? What gives you the right? Let me tell you what gives Jesus the right. It's found all throughout Old Testament Scripture. Isaiah 56 is a really important chapter to go to when you look at, at this text in Matthew. Isaiah writes on behalf of God, the prophet said, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say that the Lord will surely separate me from his people. The Lord says to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and who love him and serve him, these I will bring to my holy mountain, that is Zion, that is where the temple is, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their offerings will be accepted, for my house will be a house of prayer for all people. I am the Lord who gathers the outcasts, and I will gather others besides those already gathered. What a beautiful text that God says, let nobody who thinks that they're on the outside think that that's where they have to stay. Think that I don't ever see them, that I don't care about them. Anybody who wants to come to me is welcome to come to me. I welcome them. And then, and then he's saying, and don't you think different from that as well? Don't you think that any outsiders need to stay outside? If they care about me, if they want to worship me, God says, let them come, and I welcome them. So, so to fulfill this, just to give you a, a, an understanding of what's happening in this text and a visual illustration. The tabernacle, as I said, was built out in the desert. God gives instructions. That's where his presence would dwell. And then as, they, as the people, the God's people, wandered from Egypt to this promised land, everywhere they went, the presence of God was there in the tabernacle. Sacrifices were made. People worshipped God. There in Jerusalem, you fast forward, you get to King David, and David is in this palace. And what does he say? He says it's not, he says it's not fair. That, that God's given me my position and he's given me this incredible palace and he's out in the middle of a, the desert. Let me build for the Lord a house in which he can dwell. And God says, well, you're not going to do it, David. That's not your role, but your son Solomon is going to do it. And, and I will dwell in the midst of my people. And so, so the tabernacle went from being, you know, uh, kind of this traveling temple to a full-blown temple that was built in Jerusalem by Solomon. That gets torn down by uh, the enemies of Israel. And a second temple is built when King Herod gets on the scene. He's the one that's alive when, when Jesus is born. King Herod builds this temple in Jerusalem. This is just a, obviously a model, it doesn't exist like this anymore. Uh, but this is actually a picture from the, the Jerusalem Museum, and they have a kind of a replica of the, the old city of Jerusalem. Um, it's massive, and this is what the temple would have looked like in Jesus' day. So, in the center of it, you see kind of that taller structure. That's the Holy of Holies. When now, when when Jesus arrives, and during the second temple, what we know is because of that first destruction of the temple that the Ark of the Covenant disappeared. Uh, So that wasn't there in Jesus' day, but still on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood of of, uh, a spotless animal into that Holy of Holies and make uh, atonement for the sins of all of the people. At the same time, as we talked about last week, everybody would come and offer a spotless lamb on behalf of the sins of themselves and their families. So you got the Holy of Holies in the middle where only one person, the high priest was allowed to go one day of the year. Just on the outside of that's a smaller little sacred courtyard, and that was uh, the court of the priests. So those that were doing the work, of the spiritual work of the temple were allowed to go there, uh, not into the Holy of Holies, but they had their own space. Outside of that then was the court of the Israelites, God's chosen people. That, that they could go into. In other words, they got closer to the presence of God. Outside of that, where you kind of see that smaller wall in the center, that was the court of women, Jewish women, that were allowed to worship there. And then you've got this massive courtyard that surrounds all of it. That's the court of the Gentiles. And so that was built because, because of that passage in, in, in Isaiah, to honor and recognize, let no foreigner, no outcast no one who is not an Israelite uh, be able to say that God doesn't care about me or love me or welcome me into his presence. And so, so Herod made sure that this court of the Gentiles was absolutely massive. So a lot of people would come there and they would they would hang out in there. Now, a lot of the Jewish people didn't really honor and recognize the court of the Gentiles that much because, as we know, they didn't get along so well. So oftentimes that courtyard kind of just became kind of a... A place for people to hang out, and especially in this instance during Passover, when so many people were traveling, that court of Gentiles became more of like a shopping mall. It became a market that was actually overseen by the high priest's family. So they were the ones that would, would give the yay or nay on whether or not somebody's allowed to set up a booth there and what they were allowed uh, to sell. Uh, and, and so um, what, what happened uh, during that time was, was that those tables that would get set up, the things that were sold, uh, that's where people would maybe buy their spotless lamb because people were coming from all over the ancient world and they needed to offer a spotless uh, lamb without blemish. To travel with an animal and have it either walk behind you or, or bring it with you and your family, and uh, chances are pretty good something could go wrong. By the time your animal got to Jerusalem, the priest might look at it and say, look, it's got, it's got a cut, it's got a scratch, it's got a mark, it's not, you can't use it for a sacrifice. So most people would come to Jerusalem and purchase their lamb when they got there. We talked about this during the Christmas season, but there was, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, there would would have been a massive flock of sheep uh, where the shepherds who worked for the temple raised them and made sure that those sheep were without blemish so that during Passover they could bring them into the city and they they could be sold and people would buy them, right? Right? So, so that was taking place. But then also, what you find in Leviticus chapter 5, it says, but if, if someone is too poor, if they can't afford a lamb, then God says, then, then the acceptable sacrifice for them is either two doves or two pigeons. And so you, you could offer two birds. So when we read this text, that Jesus comes in and he sees what's going on. Now, understand this, that because... Uh, you got to take your theology deeper than this. But it, sometimes, you know, when I was a youth pastor and the kids would be like, "Yeah, hey, we're selling, we're selling, we're having a bake sale to, to raise money for our mission trip." People are like, "Oh, Jesus turned the tables over in the temple because people were selling." That's terrible theology. Okay, it has nothing to do, nothing to do with that. Well, we Jesus go, comes in and he sees. What does it say that whose tables does he turn over? The pigeon sellers, the people that were selling to the poor. Why? Because they were taking advantage of them. That's the understanding, is that, is that they, were, they were jacking up the prices on, on, on the poor. And, and at the same time, he turns over the tables of the money changers. Because, again, uh, God in his temple, his expectation, as again, he's people always think like, why did God have such high expectations? Because he's holy, he's perfect. And he sets a standard that is incredibly high because he wants people to understand that Jesus is the blameless, spotless lamb. That the standard is high. You have to be holy, but I can't be holy. Well, that's the standard. Well, then how can I ever be in a relationship with you, God? Well, perfection. So Jesus is our perfection. So God sets the standard high. The offering that was accepted in the temple when people wanted to bring uh, money and, and give it to the Lord. Uh, foreign coin um, was was a mixture of a lot of different metals. And most of the coin that would come from outside of Jerusalem uh, was made up of up to about 60% silver. But the coins that were used in Jerusalem, the Tyrian drachma, were 90% silver. And so any foreigner that wanted to come and wanted to exchange their money to give a temple uh, offering... They had to exchange their money for money that was acceptable. Problem was, is that they too were being upcharged by the high priest's family. So somebody was making money off of it. You can see why Jesus got so upset. It wasn't because, well, well, it partly was, we'll get to this, that that people were selling in the court of the Gentiles, but they were taking advantage of the the poor. Taking advantage of those who, who couldn't speak up. For themselves, and he gets a little bit uh, upset. Uh, I would say, and, and if you go back to God's instruction, back to Isaiah chapter fifty-six, uh, where, where in verses three to seven, uh, God says, "I don't want anybody to think that they're not welcome, that that, that I don't care about them." You rewind, you just get to verse 1 of Isaiah 56, and it's God's instruction to His people, and it says, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, and my deliverance will be revealed. So do justice, seek righteousness, and you will see my deliverance when it 's revealed you will see, you will know my salvation when it comes starts to put all of it in perspective. Jesus has just come into the city as deliverance, as redemption, as salvation. There was a crowd out there, but not a not a huge crowd enough that that the people in the city remember were going, "Who is this guy? What are people saying they didn 't fully understand it but but Jesus goes to the temple where the people that were there should know what the prophet had spoken of on behalf of God, to say, always seek justice. Always do the right thing. Don't oppress people. And you will know salvation when it arrives. And, and we know, we'll get into this, but Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because he said, if only you would know that salvation has come to you today. So they didn't pay attention to that. And they didn't pay attention to God's instruction to, to fight for justice and against unrighteousness. And this, it's all embodied when Jesus walks into the house of God. And he sees injustice and unrighteousness and nobody paying attention that that their deliverance and their salvation was there. And Jesus, he just is gonna put an end to all of it. He starts turning over tables. He sends everybody out. This is a house of prayer, and, and you have turned it into a, a circus. You're oppressing people and treating them poorly. You've chosen to ignore everything that is righteous. And God's house is being profaned and His law disobeyed and people are getting hurt. And so he quotes. He says, have you not read that my house will be a house of prayer? And Jesus adds, but you've made it a den of robbers. He's, he's putting together a couple of passages, um, but it's from uh, Jeremiah. So we already have Isaiah saying, seek justice and and don't push people away. Go after the sojourner, go after the outsider. And then Jeremiah chapter 7, Jesus quotes that. For their shady practices and now now their weak theology. A den of robbers. he's, he's He's not saying necessarily that you're stealing from people, and that's why he's calling it a den of robbers, even though he knows they are. He's calling them thieves, but he's saying, you've made the temple, instead of a house of God, you've made it a den of robbers, and a den is, would be a place where thieves escape to, to get away from getting into trouble. This is where we hide out. This is where we hang out together. This is where we talk about our exploits. But as long as we're in here, we're safe. And that's what they were thinking. That they were in some way that the, the temple was their hideout. So Jesus calling out their belief that, that they could lie and cheat and steal from people. And as long as they did it in the temple, then it was sanctified in some way. They're in the clear. Because that's what happened in Jeremiah chapter 7. God said, you're oppressing the foreigner and you're oppressing the orphan and you're oppressing the widow. Do you think you can do these detestable things and then come into my house that bears my name and say, we are safe to do these things? God says, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? And then in verse 20, he says, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place. So Jesus calls them out. And he's referring back to this. You're just like those in Jeremiah. Have you not learned anything where you're taking advantage of the poor and the orphan and the widow and the foreigner? Do you think you can come into to my house, he's saying. he's got. It's his authority. Do you think you come into my house and that you can make this place, transform it from a place of worship where people are trying to get close to God and you're pushing them away because you've made it your little hangout for thieves. And trying to justify it by doing it here in in God's house. My anger and my wrath will be poured out in this way. So, what happens? Jesus' anger and his holy wrath is poured out, and he sends them all away, turns the tables on them. If we just had to take a small bit of personal application, one, we can just sit back and just go, I love Jesus. Right? His, he fought for, for what was right and he fought against injustice and the things that he saw that were wrong. But I think if you had to summarize the lesson that, was, that he was trying to teach those in, in this small little section is that we are not allowed to treat people however we want, do whatever we want to do, live lives of disobedience and then think just because we come here, we're good. Like it takes care of all of it. I'm a good person. I go to church. It doesn't mean a thing. Do you follow the one that this represents? This, this is walls, two by fours and paint, drywall put together. Right? We gather together to worship God and to praise Him. But you can never think. Salvation comes, first of all, salvation only comes from Christ alone. It doesn't come from coming and sitting in a certain seat sing a few words, sing a few songs, comes from Christ alone. The God of Sunday is also the God of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. He's the God overall. And He expects us to live lives that fight for justice and are passionate about righteousness. Don't ever think that anything other than Jesus can save you. What I love happens next. Jesus chases everybody out. And then who walks in? It's actually a group of people who weren't supposed to walk in. It says that the blind and the lame, that they, they, they all, the sick, they all came. Those that had these physical ailments, these needs, they come into the temple. They weren't, again, the, the whole without blemish, spotless. They had to, to sit out on the steps, begging from people, because they've been outcasts from their families. Remember, there was an assumption in ancient times that if you had anything that was wrong with you, it was because of something that you'd done. Right? That it's God's punishment upon you. And and Jesus sends everybody out, and you can imma- I just can only imagine what's going on in the minds of people who've always felt like outcasts, that that they they see Jesus and they hear him fighting for those who, who can't fight for themselves and they just know that's our king. And so they, they break the rules and they go into the temple and Jesus lets them come. Not only does he let them come, he welcomes them and he heals all of them. He is making an incredible statement about who he is, about his authority, but then also we have this, this flip uh, of, he he can be angry and he can make things right in his anger, and then he can be the most tender and compassionate of anybody else around. That's our king. That's our savior. That's how he loves. He showed compassion. That's who Jesus. Mark Mark six thirty four. Um, shows Jesus' heart as he he looked upon the crowd and it says that, that his heart broke for them because they were people without purpose and, and they were confused. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he, he enters into their life. Luke 15 is Jesus' teaching is the people and he gets the parables. He just over and over again, one story after the next, story of the lost coin, story of the lost sheep, story of the lost son. And it's all about I'm coming for you. I will find you. I will welcome you home. I'll bring you back to me. Jesus is compassionate. He cares about people's hearts. So in this narrative, if somebody didn't know, if you were learning about Jesus, you would read the first part and go, wow, he's, he's pretty harsh. But then by the grace of God, attached to it is, wow, he's incredibly loving, incredibly compassionate. And he cares about people. He did whatever it took. He heals people because, again, it's his house, his rules, his way. And he knew that God had promised that if there were ever injustices shown, he would destroy the building, God said in Jeremiah, for the sake of the people. Well, the building doesn't exist anymore. It's not necessary. And they tried to destroy Jesus because of His authority and who He was. Conquered death, conquered sin, offers us life. He cares about our lives, the hearts of people. He serves with compassion. And then He, he just rose above opinion. That's what we need. Right? That, that's, we all need that in a leader. You can't follow a leader who says yes to this person, no to this person, or, you know, yeah, I'll do that for you, but at the same time, yeah, I'll do that for you, and bows to everybody. We all know that we need leaders who step up, and, and, and they make decisions, and they don't falter. Jesus doesn't care what the priests think, that the scribes think, the religious leaders who thought they knew everything and are better than everybody. I love how he questions them. They're the religious leaders who believe that they know everything. And, and Jesus says, have you not read? He's asking people whose job it is to know Scripture. Oh, you didn't read that? You don't read the Psalms? It's no wonder that just a few days later they, they wanted him dead. Dead. So it says when the chief priests and scribes saw, I love how Matthew puts it, the wonderful things that he had done, they got upset. They they saw the incredible things that Jesus had done. In other words, Matthew's saying it was wonderful that that he drove out the money changers and the pigeon sellers, and it was wonderful that he welcomed in those that had needs and he healed them. But the religious leaders saw it, and they became indignant. means that they were incredibly, I mean, displeasure is a really easy way to put it, but they were furious. Indignant means you get upset over something that you think is wrong. You think. Opinion. Their opinion was what he was doing was, was wrong. Jesus says, your opinion doesn't matter here. Only truth matters. And Jesus only knows to do and can do what is right. Children begin to praise Him. Save us, Son of David. Hosanna, Son of David. Children are singing this. Why? Because they had just come out from the road where Jesus had come in. The crowd had gathered and people were worshiping Him and the kids listened to Mom and Dad and the crowd that was singing and they just kept repeating it. Which is, there's a whole lesson in and of itself, moms and dads. Your kids will repeat what you do. They will worship the God that you worship. They will worship in the way that you worship. And so they're they're just singing this song. Probably just walking. They might not even know what it meant. But they're singing it. It's interesting that the the, the priests call them out here in the temple about it. And, And... in the triumphal entry, as Jesus is coming, Luke tells us that the people uh, are, are singing and praising him. And, and it was uh, the Pharisees that came and said, you got to tell these people to be quiet. They don't even know what they're saying. They're going to they're gonna cause chaos. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I could tell them to be quiet, but uh, even the rocks are going to cry out. Right? Because today is the day and it needs to be proclaimed of who I am. And God's going God's to gonna let that message go out. In this instance, they they say, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. He's quoting Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. I love, again, the only words Jesus speaks in this entire text is just Scripture. It's just truth. And so he says, have you, have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise? Well, that psalm, anytime Jesus uh, kind of mentions this to, to religious leaders, do you, have you not heard, and he mentions a, a verse, they know it, and so they're going to expand in their minds what Jesus is trying to say. Well, that psalm continues to say that, God, you have established this, your strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avengers. And he's alluding to this text, this psalm text, to prove a point that would definitely offend these religious leaders. That it would be, through if, if, if the, the ones that are supposed to be praising God are not, well then, even the praise of the most humble and uneducated, God will silence His enemies. Even the most humble and uneducated would be able to silence those who thought that they knew everything. And that's what's taking place here. Jesus said, do you not know? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you prepared. God has already been at work. That I am going to be proclaimed as king whether you like it or not. I don't care about your opinion. Jesus says, I care about the hearts of people. I, I care that people are being oppressed. I care that my house is being used in a profane way. I care about righteousness. And with that, it says he left and he went back to Bethany. We'll dig into this in the, in the next few weeks of kind of the events that unfold because of this. But for today, as we prepare our hearts to go to a time of just remembering what it is that Jesus did for us at the end of this Passover week. My prayer today is, one, that this text would just make you kind of sit back and go, I love Jesus. I mean, He fights for people. He cares about people. He cares about what God cares about. He he has a passion for righteousness and holiness. And I would just say that that if He's your King, then you would desire all of those things as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. There are are passages, God, that we read that take us deep theologically, and there are passages that take us to these moments where we just, again, get to see how your son lived a life that that we model, a life that we follow, and we find a king that you sent us uh, that, that we can't help but fall in love with. Help us, God to fall in love with you more and more each and every day. Amen.